Welcome to the Man of God Network, a ministry of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary in Owensboro, Kentucky. This is the voice of the narrated Puritan. This morning I want to read a couple of letters that came after the Great Awakening, which was correspondence between Jonathan Edwards and those pastors that were used in the revival in Scotland under the ministry of George Whitfield. The first is to the Reverend James Robe. Northampton, May 12, 1743. Reverend, and dear sir, last week I was surprised with the unexpected favor of your letter with one from Mr. John McLaurin, and may well make me blush at the consideration of my vileness to receive such undeserved testimonies of respect from servants of the Lord at so great a distance, and that have been so highly favored and honored of God as you have been. Pleasant and joyful are the accounts which we have lately had from Scotland concerning the kingdom of our God there, for which we in the world are especially indebted to you. You have honored your dear Lord and refreshed and served his church by the accounts you have published in your narrative and journals of the work of God in Kilsyth and other parts in the west of Scotland. Future generations will own themselves indebted to you for those accounts. Congratulate you, dear sir, on the advantages God has put you under to favor the Church of God with the narrative of its glorious works. By having made you the instrument of so much of them and given you such glorious success in your own congregation, the accounts which we have received from you are on some accounts more pleasant and agreeable than what we have had to send to you. The work of God with you has been less mixed with air and extravagance. You have taken a more wise and prudent care to prevent things of that nature, or to suppress them as soon as they have appeared. And ministers that have been the principal promoters of the work have seemed to be more happily united in their sentiments, and so under greater advantage to assist one another, and to act as co-workers and fellow helpers. You have heard great things from England of late, which I doubt not have refreshed and rejoiced your hearts, and indeed great and wonderful have the things been in which God has passed before us. But now we have not such joyful news to send you. The clouds have lately thickened, and our hemisphere is now much darkened with them. There is a great decay of the work of God amongst us, especially as to the awakening and converting influence of the Spirit of God and the prejudices there are in a great part of the country are riveted and inveterate. The people are divided into two parties, those that favor the work and those that are against it. And the distinction has long been growing more and more visible in the distance greater till there is at length raised a wall between them up to heaven, so that one party is very much out of the reach of the influence of the other. This is very much owing to imprudent management and the friends of the work and a corrupt mixture which Satan has found means to introduce in our manifold sinful heirs, by which we have grieved and quenched the Spirit of God. It can scarcely be conceived of what consequence it is to the continuance and propagation of a revival of religion, that the utmost care be used to prevent error and disorder among those that appear to be the subject of such a work and also that all imaginable care be taken by ministers in conducting souls under the work, 
and particularly that there be the greatest caution used in comforting and establishing persons as being safe and past the danger of hell. Many among us have been ready to think that all high raptors are divine, but experience plainly shows that it is not the degree of rapture and ecstasy, although it should be to the third heavens, but the nature and kind that must determine us in their favor. It would have been better for us if all ministers here had taken care diligently to distinguish such joys and raised affections as were attended with deep humiliation, brokenness of heart, poverty of spirit, mourning for sin, solemnity of spirit, a trembling reverence towards God, tenderness of spirit, self-jealousy and fear, and great engagingness of heart after holiness of life and a readiness to esteem others better than themselves. And that sort of humility that is not a noisy, showy humility, but rather this which disposes to walk softly and speak trembling. And if we had encouraged no discoveries or joys but such as manifestly wrought this way, it would have been well for us. And I am persuaded we shall generally be sensible before long that we run too fast when we endeavor by our positive determinations to banish all fears of damnation from the minds of men, though they may be true saints, if they are not such as are eminently humble and mortified, and what the Apostle calls rooted and grounded in love, Ephesians 3, verse 17. It seems to be running before the Spirit of God, God by His Spirit does not give assurance any other way than by advancing the things in the soul. He does not wholly cast out fear, the legal principle, but by advancing and filling the soul full of love, the evangelical principle. When love is low in the true saints, they need the fear of hell to deter them from sin and engage them to exactness in their walk and stir them up to seek heaven. But when love is high and the soul is full of it, we don't need fear. And therefore a wise God has so ordered it that love and fear should rise and fall like the scales of a balance. When one rises, the other falls, as there is need. Or as light and darkness take place of each other in a room, as light decays, darkness comes in, and as light increases and fills the room, darkness is cast out. So love. For the spirit of adoption casts out fear, the spirit of bondage. Experience convinces me that even in the brightest and most promising appearances of new converts, it would have been better for us to have encouraged them only as it were conditionally, after the example of the apostle in Hebrew 3 verse 5, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? In Hebrews 3, verse 14, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. And after the example of Christ in Revelation 2, verse 10, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. It is probable that one reason why God has suffered us to err is to teach us wisdom. By experience of the ill consequence of our errors, what you related the opposition of the succeeding ministers is very surprising, especially of the two Erskins whose writings, especially Ralph Erskine's Gospel Sonnets, have been in great repute among God's people here. But this is a day of wonders of various kinds. 
I have reason to admire divine condescension in making any use of anything I have written for the defense of the work of God in Scotland. As to what you propose concerning my writing a narrative and so on, I am not conveniently situated for it. Living in an extreme part of the land and in hundred miles from the press, as well as many other accounts unfit for it. But Mr. Thomas Prince of Boston, who is every way fit and under good advantages for it, has already undertaken it, and I suppose will prosecute the undertaking so far as it shall be thought for God's glory. I hope, dear sir, you all remember me in your prayers. Never was I so sensible in any measure how vain a creature man is. What a leaf driven of the wind, with dry stubble, with poor dust, a bubble, a shadow, a nothing, and more vain than nothing, and what a vain and vile helpless creature I am, and how much I need God's help in everything as of late. Dear sir, don't forget New England, and don't forget your affectionate and obliged brother and servant, an unworthy fellow laborer, Jonathan Edwards. James Robes' book was called Narratives of the Extraordinary Work of the Spirit of God at Compslang at Kilsyth, begun in the year 1742. Ebenezer and Ralph Erskine, who were among the leaders of the Succeeders, Ralph Erskine's Gospel Sonnets, was a favorite in the colonies. Next letter. Editor's Note The friendship of Jonathan Edwards with Scottish pastors was of a major and enduring value. This letter, and the previous one written to James Robe the same day, are the earliest recorded communications to these pastors. The glory days of revival were past for Jonathan Edwards. His interest in the movement remained keen, but after face-to-face encounters with extremists, he took a decidedly more cautious, realistic attitude toward the idea. In his letter, Jonathan Edwards expresses elation at news of the Comslang Revival, said to have originated in McCulloch's Parish near Glasgow, Scotland. By contrast, he considers the American Awakening flawed. Northampton, Massachusetts, May 12, 1743. Reverend and dear sir, Mr. John McLaurin of Glasgow, in a letter he has lately sent me, informs me of your proposal to write a letter to me. And being prevented by the failing of the expected opportunity, I thank you, Reverend Sir, that you had such a thing in your heart. We were informed the last year by the printed and well-attested narrative of the glorious work of God in your parish, which we have since understood has spread into many other towns and parishes in that part of Scotland. Especially are we informed of this by Mr. James Robe's narrative, and I perceive by some papers of the weekly history sent to me by Mr. McLaurin of Glasgow that the work has continued to make glorious progress at Comslang, even till it has prevailed to a wonderful degree indeed. God has highly favored and honored you, dear sir, which may justly render your name precious to all that love our Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a day wherein God is doing marvelous things. In that respect, we are distinguished from former generations. God has wrought great things in New England, which, though exceeding glorious, have all along been attended with some threatening clouds, which have been the beginning caused me to apprehend some great stop or check to be put to this work, before it should be begun and carried on in its genuine purity and beauty to subdue all before it, and to prevail with an irresistible and continual progress and triumph. 
and it is come to pass according to my apprehensions. But yet I cannot think otherwise, and that what has now been doing is a forerunner of something very much greater, more pure and more extensive. I can't think that God has come down from heaven and done such great things before our eyes, and gone so much beside and beyond his usual way of working, and wrought so wonderfully, and that he has gone away with the design to leave things thus. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? And will God, when he has wrought so unusually and made the earth to bring forth in one day, bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth? And shall he cause to bring forth and shut the womb? Isaiah 66, 8-9. I live upon the brink of the grave, in great infirmity of body. And nothing is more uncertain than whether I shall live to see it. But I believe God will revive his work again before long, and that it will not wholly cease till it has subdued the whole earth. But God is now going and returning to his place, till we acknowledge our offense, and I hope to humble his church in New England, and purify it, and so fit it for yet greater comfort, that he designs in due time to bestow upon it. God may deal with his church as he deals with a particular saint. Commonly after his first comfort to clouds return, and there is a season of remarkable darkness and hidings of God's face, and buffetings of Satan, but all to fit for greater mercy, and as it was with Christ himself, who presently after the heavens were opened over his head, and the Spirit was poured out upon him, and God wonderfully testified his love to him. He was driven into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil forty days, Matthew 3, verse 16 to 4, 1. I hope God will show us our errors and teach us wisdom by his present withdrawings of his spirit. Now in the day of adversity we have time and cause to consider, and begin now to have opportunity to see the consequences of our conduct. I wish that God's ministers and people everywhere would take warning by errors and the calamities that are the issue of them. I have mentioned several things in my letters to Mr. McLaurin and James Robe. Another I might have mentioned that most evidently proves of ill consequence, and that is we have run from one extreme to another with respect to talking of spiritual experiences. That whereas formerly there was too great a reservedness in that manner, of late many have gone to an unbounded openness, frequency, and constancy in talking of their experiences, declaring almost everything that passes between God and their own souls, everywhere and before everybody. Among other ill consequences of such a practice, this is one, that religion runs all into that channel, and religion displays very much in it, so that the strength of it seems to be spent in it, that other duties that are of vastly greater importance have been looked upon light in comparison of this, so that other parts of religion have been really much injured by this, as when we see a tree excessively full of leaves, we find so much less fruit, and when a cloud arises with an excessive degree of wind, we have the less rain. How much, dear sir, does God's church at such a day need the constant, gracious care and guidance of our good shepherd, and especially we that are ministers? I should be glad, dear sir, of a remembrance in your prayers and also of your help by information and instructions about what you find in your experience in Scotland. I believe it to be the duty of one part of the church of God thus to help another. I am, dear sir, your affectionate brother and servant in Jesus Christ. 
Jonathan Edwards, to the Reverend William McCullough, Northampton, March 5th, 1743. Reverend and dear sir, I return you thanks for your most obliging, entertaining, and instructive letter dated August 13th, 1743, which I received about the latter end of October, my answering which has been unhappily delayed by reason of my distance from Boston, and not being able to find any opportunity to send there till the ship was gone that brought your letter, which I much regretted. My delaying to answer has been far from arising from any indifference with respect to this correspondence, by which I am sensible I am highly honored and privileged. Tis probable that you have been informed by other correspondents before now what the present state of things in New England is. It is indeed on many accounts very melancholy. There is a vast alteration within these two years for about so long, I think it is, since the Spirit of God began to withdraw, and this great work has been on the decline. Great numbers in the land about two years ago were raised to an exceeding great height and joy and elevations of mind, and through want of watchfulness and sensibleness of the danger and temptation that there is in such circumstances, many were greatly exposed. And the devil taking the advantage, multitudes were soon and to themselves insensibly led far away from God and their duty. God was provoked that he was not sanctified in this height of advancement as he ought to have been. He saw our spiritual pride and self-confidence and the polluted flames that arose of intemperate, unhallowed zeal. And he soon in a great measure withdrew from us. And the consequence has been that the enemy has come in like a flood in various respects until the deluge has overwhelmed the whole land. There had from the beginning been a great mixture, especially in some places of false experience and false religion withdrew. But from about this time the mixture became much greater. Many were led away with sad delusions. And this opened the door for the enemy to come in like a flood in another respect. It gave great advantage to the enemies and opposers of this work, furnished them with weapons and gave them new courage, and has laid the friends of the work under such disadvantages that nothing that they could do would have felt anything to withstand their violence. Now it has come to that, that the work is put to a stop everywhere, and it is a day of the enemy's triumph, but I believe also a day of God's people's humiliation, which will better to them in the end in their elevations and raptures. The time has been amongst us when the sower went forth to sow, and we have seen the spring in which the seeds bring up in different sorts of ground, appearing then fair and flourishing. But the spring is past, and we now see the summer, wherein the sun is up with a burning heat that tries the sorts of ground, and now appears a difference, a seed in stony ground where there was only a thin layer of earth on a rock withers away, the moisture being dried out and the hidden seeds and roots of thorns and unsubdued ground now springs up and chokes the seed of the word. Many high professors are fallen, some into gross immorality, some into the opinions of sectary, some into a rooted spiritual pride, enthusiasm, and an incorrigible wildness of behavior some into a cord carnal frame of mind, showing a great indifference to things of religion. But there are many, and I hope those, a greater part of those that were professed converts, appear hitherto like the good ground. And notwithstanding the thick and dark clouds that so soon follow that blessed sunshine that we have had, 
Yet I cannot but steadfastly maintain in hope and persuasion that God will revive his work, and that what has been so great and very extraordinary is a forerunner of a yet more glorious and extensive work. It has been slanderously reported and printed concerning me that I have often said that the millennium was already begun, and that it began at Northampton. A doctor of divinity in New England has ventured to publish this report to the world from a single person who is concealed and kept behind a curtain. But the report is very diverse from what I have ever said. Indeed, I have often said, as I say now, that I looked upon the late wonderful revivals of religion as forerunners of those glorious times so often prophesied of in the scripture, and that this was the first dawning of that light and beginning of that work which in the progress and issue of it would at last bring on the church's latter-day glory. But there are many that know that I have from time to time added that there would probably be many sore conflicts and terrible convulsions and many changes, revivings, and intermissions, and returns of dark clouds, and threatening appearances before this work shall have subdued the world, and Christ's kingdom shall be everywhere established and settled in peace, which will be the beginning of the millennium or day of the church's peace, rejoicing the triumph on earth, so often spoken of. But whatever we think about end-time prophecy, it is most apparent by the scriptures that there are mighty strugglings to be expected between the church of God and her enemies before her great victory. And there may be many lesser strugglings before that last and greatest and universal conflict. Experience seems to show that the church of God, according to God's method of dealing with her, needs a great deal gradually to prepare her for that prosperity and glory that he has promised her on earth as the growth of the earth after winter needs gradually to be prepared for the summer heat. I have known instances wherein by the heats coming on suddenly in the spring without intermissions of cold to check the growth, the branches, many of them, by a too hasty growth, have afterwards died. And perhaps God may bring on spiritual spring as he does the natural, with now and then a pleasant sunshiny season, and with an interruption by clouds and stormy winds, till at length the sun by more and more approaching and the light increasing, the strength of the winter is broken. We are extremely apt to get out of the narrow way, a very great increase of comfort that is sudden without time and experience. In many instances has appeared to wound a soul in some respects, though it seems to profit it in others. Sometimes at the same time that the soul seems wonderfully delivered from those lusts that are more carnal and earthly, there is an insensible increase of those that are more spiritual, as God told the children of Israel that he would put out the former inhabitants of the land of Canaan by little and little, and would not consume them at once lest the beasts of the field should increase upon them. We need much experience to teach us the innumerable ways that we are liable to err and to show us the evil and pernicious consequences of those errors. If it should please God before many years to grant another great revival of religion in New England, we should perhaps be much upon our guard against such errors as we have run into, and which have undone us this time, but yet might run insensibly into other errors that we now think not of. You inquire of me, Reverend Sir, whether I reject all those for counterfeits to speak of visions and trances. I am far from doing of it. I am and always have been in that manner of the same opinion that James Robe expresses in some of those pamphlets Mr. John McLaurin sent me. 
that persons are neither to be rejected nor approved on such a foundation. I have expressed the same thing in my discourse on the marks of a work of the true spirit, and I haven't changed my mind. I am afraid, dear sir, that I have been too bold with you in being so lengthy and tedious, and have been too impertinent and forward to express my opinion upon this and that. But I consider myself as writing to a candid Christian friend and brother, with whom I may be free and bold, and from whom I may promise myself excuse and forgiveness. Dear brother, asking your earnest prayers for me and for New England, I am your affectionate brother and engaged friend and servant, Jonathan Edwards. <laughs>